I think it's oddly appropriate that uh, on this day that we're thinking in particular about commitments in faith, that Amy let the cat out of the bag, that we keep a file of each of you in our office. I hope that you heard Jacob's powerful testimony about wanting to be held accountable in his church. What a wonderful, wonderful word and a testimony and an appropriate introduction to our scripture for today, a difficult parable of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it. They made light of it. And went away, one to his farm and another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. And then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man, one man there with no wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And the man was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You have heard the ancient story. Many people read all of Jesus' parables as allegories. You know, in this story, the king is God, tough God. And the son is Jesus. And the wedding banquet stands for God's invitation to the people. The first servants are the Hebrew prophets who were rejected. And the next are the Christian missionaries whose message about Jesus was also rejected by many of the Jews. The final message being that in the end, the banquet will be eternal. And if you don't get right with God, you know, exchange your earthly clothes for a heavenly robe, well, there won't be eternal feasting for you, but a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hard words. These are harsh words. You can probably see how the Jews come out looking pretty bad in that interpretation. There's a lot of anti-Semitism, unintentional and intentional, that has come out of Christian pulpits over the years. We always need to be cautious. And with a God like that, you know, all that weeping and gnashing, you can just imagine the kind of preaching, the messages, the implications of the theology that have been spewed into the world. But before we just throw the text out altogether, listen to what Rob Bell says in his wonderful book, Love Wins. If you want to know how to deal with some of the Bible's harsh words, Rob Bell says, Some words are strong for a reason. 
We need those words to be that intense, loaded, complex, and offensive because they need to reflect the realities they describe. Jesus is trying to communicate the very real experiences and consequences of rejecting our God-given goodness and humanity. When Jesus talked about hell, for example, he wasn't trying to compel heathens and pagans to believe in God so they wouldn't burn when they die. He talked about hell to the very religious people to warn them about the consequences of straying from God's love. So maybe there's a place for this kind of language, the harsh images of Jesus' parables. Maybe those parables can instruct us But in order to understand them rightly, we'll have to take the time to read carefully and to study and to interpret all the harsh language and the violence and the judgment in light of Jesus' life of nonviolence and self-giving love. And I just wonder how many people listening to Jesus out on a hillside carefully dissected the allegory framing its message within the larger biblical theology of God's forgiving grace, God's long-suffering love. How many? And how much of the church today can hear that way? How much of the church even wants to hear, is even willing to hear that message when a harsh message of judgment better serves its own theological and political ideologies? We hear mostly what we want to hear from the Bible and even from Jesus. Mostly what we want to hear. When I walked into the very first seminary class I I was in at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky in 1988, Dr. Harold Songer was standing in front of the room. I don't remember much about the survey of the New Testament, but I do remember the excitement and a little bit of anxiety I felt by listening to Dr. Songer. That old professor of mine has this to say about Matthew's use of the parables, and I think it's helpful for us today. The parables of Jesus are not meticulously constructed stories in which every detail has a hidden meaning to challenge the imagination of the interpreter. Parables are not meant to be decoded in the study. They were intended to be understood, heeded, and acted upon. The parables of Jesus are not meticulously constructed. All those details, that angry king, the murdered servants, the man with no wedding robe, Jesus was a storyteller. He was telling an old story. Scholars tell us this is an old story that Jesus was telling anew. And maybe he was embellishing on the spot, making up some of those details. And the details are intriguing and odd and disturbing, all of which just makes for a great story. But the parables are not meticulously constructed, not meant to be decoded in the study. No one was taking notes when Jesus taught. Most of them couldn't even read or write. There was no test after the lecture. They weren't thinking, wow, this is a complex allegory. I better write all of this down. Jesus was just a storyteller, a great storyteller. Now, if I try to put myself on a hillside or under a tree listening to Jesus telling this story, I think I might have gone away thinking, hmm, that was interesting, 
I have no idea what all it meant, but I kind of think he was talking to me. Maybe God, maybe God's not just a loving Abba like some sweet old grandmother. Maybe there is something kind of tough about God and justice and God's calling and our response. And that bit about the wedding robe, that man thrown in the outer, outer darkness, many are called but few are chosen. I think I might have gone away challenged by Jesus' powerful story, by Jesus' message. I think I might have gone away thinking, I think I'd like to be the chosen, whatever it takes. This may be what I would have heard if I had been sitting on a hill listening to Jesus tell the story. And listening today, without dissecting all the parts, this is what I hear for us. Maybe we've made it too easy. Many Christian people, maybe Christian people, are making light of God's invitation like those first invited guests. Maybe we're making light of the invitation and it's not serving the Christian church well these days. You see, baptism is supposed to be a symbol of commitment not just an initiation ride into a club. It is a full-bodied immersion into the love of God through the way of Jesus, which was a way of living in this world that changed the whole world, even though it got Jesus killed. Our world, I don't need to tell you, is in chaos. Our political leaders cannot govern themselves, much less lead the nation. We've made too little progress on race. LGBTQ inclusion is far from guaranteed. The environment seems to be collapsing. There's war in Ukraine, terrorism and confusion in Israel. And with all the news all the time, all the news all the time, rates of depression are sky high. Despair and cynicism reign among us. The opioid crisis alone is a measure of our pain. The Centers for Disease Control tells us that more than one million Americans have overdosed on drugs since 1999. And in 2021 alone, more than 80,000 people died trying to kill their pain with opioids. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people age 15 to 24. That's our teenagers. Nearly 20% of all high school students report serious thoughts of suicide, and 9% have made an attempt. One in every 10 high school students in this country has made a suicide attempt. There is so much pain. Too many people cannot find enough meaning in life even to get through the next day. We're angry with one another. We have lost our way. We have lost our faith. To a culture in crisis, a people in despair, to young people without hope, Jesus says, you want meaning in life? You want purpose? Follow me. It will not be easy. And it will be worth every bit of the work, all the challenge, for many are called, 
but few are chosen. I'm afraid we are making light of the invitation, and it is not serving the Christian church well. It's not supposed to be easy, folks. It's supposed to change the world. Many are called, few are chosen. Let's be among the chosen. May it be so. Before I offer this prayer of intercession, I'll tell you this past Wednesday night I was covering for J.D. with youth and he had us a, a lesson on intercessory prayer where we practiced praying for one another. We intercede to God on behalf of others. I love the text that said, says, and sometimes when we don't know how to pray, the, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't have words. So I have attempted to put some words on paper as a prayer of intercession, but I want to call your attention to, I hope you will take the insert home and read these words that come to us from MECMEN, the staff and board of directors. Our very own Ladane McLeese-Pulaski is the executive director of MECMEN, which is our interfaith network in town. Can you imagine what it was like for them to craft these words and get the rabbis and the imams and the Christians to agree on how to voice something so complex and so complicated? I've said multiple times this week, of all the things I don't understand, which are many, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is the most difficult for me to understand and give voice to. I'll just highlight a paragraph toward the end of this. Dearest friends, even as we write these words, we know that they are, not, that they are incomplete and imperfect. We know that you may feel that we have not said enough or responded quickly enough. Though our words will not and cannot meet the moment fully, we do not want to remain silent. Please know that these thoughts, with all of their limitations, come with genuine love, fervent prayers, and a deep longing for full justice for all people. In this moment of immense hatred, may we even yet find ways to love each other well. I really can't imagine what all, uh, just on a very micro level, Ladane has gone through this week, trying to bring voices together. And so I'm very grateful for this statement. I want to underscore and highlight for you the word at the bottom of this that came from McMinn. You're welcome to share this statement. However, we strongly suggest that in the current atmosphere, you do not post it on social media outlets as they are being overrun with hateful anti-Semitic and Islamophobic rhetoric. It has been disturbing social media this week. If one person says one thing about one group, they are totally denounced by another side. So if you wonder why we've kept silent on social media, it's because we believe that this is the place we come and speak to one another and lead one another where we are face to face in conversation with each other and with the God that brings us together. I offer these words as a prayer of intercession today. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, 
Honestly, we don't know how to pray in times like these. Praying for peace seems trite, idealistic, and a bit out of touch. But praying for any sense of winning means death for thousands of your children on every side. We find ourselves wondering if you even choose sides at all when every single person belongs to you. We watch the news and we are overwhelmed. So we come here for a bit of respite and a moment of renewal. To that end, we pray for all the innocent ones caught in the middle of a war. May they know your presence in their fear. We pray for leaders who have decisions to make knowing that every outcome is bloody and messy and horrible. May they know your presence as they seek wisdom. We pray for those who are forced to pick up guns and other weapons of violence. May they know your presence even in the unfortunate irony of feeling that they have to kill in the name of peace. We pray for those who are afraid, including those who are being held against their will. May they know your presence in these dark hours. We pray for families torn apart, many watching from afar while others are living it, living it up close and personal. May they know your presence in the midst of living their greatest fears. We pray for medical personnel and any who are caring for those who are injured and wounded. May they know your presence as they work your healing touch. We pray for those who are mourning. May they know your presence in their deep grief. We pray for Jews, Muslims, and Christians living in a land that all call holy. May they know your presence as they practice their faith. We pray for rabbis and imams and pastors who speak on behalf of you, O God of all people. May they, may we, may I know your presence in such a profound way that they, that we, that I may represent your shalom, your salam, your peace in our words and our deeds. We pray for those who are filled with rage. May they know your presence in a way that calms the battle they feel inside. We pray for police and all security officers who stand guard even in our own country, even in our own city, at temples and mosques, putting themselves in harm's way to protect those who seek to gather to worship you. May they know your presence as they seek to keep the peace on behalf of those who are faithful and yet afraid. We pray for enemies, theirs, and ours. We pray for them because that is what Jesus taught us to do, and perhaps this is the hardest work of all. May our enemies know your presence in ways that will change their hearts to match yours. We want to be bold and daring today, and so we will 
pray for peace in the land that is called holy. We trust that this is not a trite, idealistic, or out-of-touch act, but rather let us commit ourselves to working for peace in every relationship and in every conversation and in every encounter. In this moment of immense hatred, may we even yet find ways to love each other well, trusting that love will be what gets us to peace. Salam. Shalom. In the name of our Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.